Well, good morning, everyone. It's very good to see you. If you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we need to turn to be. Page 807 in your church Bibles, if that would be of some help to you. Page 807, 1 Corinthians 2. I want to welcome everybody. My name is Joe Franzone. Happy to be here. I serve as the pastor at West Cohasset Chapel. And I um, want you to know that if you're new, you're very welcome. Just a second, we're going to read from God's Word, and then we're going to pray and ask God for His help. 1 Corinthians 2, the very last paragraph there, the second to the last paragraph, verse 10b, here we are. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men know the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We'll stop there. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's bow just for a brief prayer to seek that help that we most definitely need. God and Father, you are worthy, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their existence. You are worthy, Father, of our praise and our attention this morning. As with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve you. Father, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Amen. On June 27th, 1819, the missionary, Adidaram Judson, baptized his first convert in Burma. His wife, Anne, described how Maung Nau, the baptized convert, responded to the scripture. This is what she said. A few days ago, I was reading with him Christ's Sermon on the Mount. He was deeply impressed and unusually solemn. These words, he said, take hold on my liver. They make me tremble. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah 2,700 years ago and said, This is the one to whom I will look, he that is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. For 2,000 years, the Bible has been, if you would, taking hold of people's liver and making them tremble. First, with fear, because the Bible reveals our sin. Then, with faith, because the Bible reveals our Savior. It reveals God's grace, and God's grace is to be to us overwhelming. We sang it, was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace, my fears, relieved. One verse, Romans 13, 13, that began with the words, let us behave decently, convicted, and converted the highly, highly immoral Augustine. For Martin Luther, once a religious monk who was just absolutely miserable, he was zealously committed to get everything right, 
but was crippled, agitated in mind because he was discovering that he could never get everything right. One verse and the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ broke into him, Romans 1.17, for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. He said, night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and that statement, the just shall live by faith. Thereupon, and I love this line, I felt myself to be reborn and have been flung through open doors into paradise. Jonathan Edwards, one verse, 1 Timothy 1.17, Edwards says this, the first instance that I remember of that sort of inward sweet delight in God and in divine things that I have lived much in since was on reading these words. This is 1 Timothy 1.17. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And he said, as I read those words, there came into my soul a sense of the glory of the divine being, a new sense quite different from anything I ever experienced before. Never any words of scripture seemed to me as these word, words did. Well, loved ones, this is the Holy Spirit's power in God's word illumined from century to century, from Egypt to Germany to New England, and yes, even in Cohasset. The Bible has been drawing people to Christ and making all things new in them. From, from century to century, the Holy Spirit has been by illumination, by shining the light on the truth of God's word, his gospel, so that every follower of Jesus may finally grasp and embrace and glory and be in awe, just as all these men were, be in awe of the realities in the scriptures or those who are not following Jesus will be unable to resist that growing sense of being measured by Jesus and exposed by his words. So illumination is the word that concerns us this morning. It's a technical phrase used by theologians. And what illumination means is this. Illumination is a work of God's grace because, because everything God does is of grace, right? Common grace, food, warm homes, to be able to breathe in and breathe out, to be alive. That's a grace, amazing grace, moving us from darkness to light. Illumination is a work of God's grace, <clears throat> excuse me, which shines the light on the scriptures so that we can understand the scriptures that we can come face to face with their realities and respond. In other words, without the Holy Spirit, no one would understand the Holy Scriptures in the way that we must. That was in the verses that we read a moment ago. Only God fully knows God, right? In the same way, only you really know you. We should understand that we really don't know what someone is really thinking. And the grace of God calls for the Spirit of God to illumine the mind, to awaken the mind so they can understand the Holy Scriptures. In other words, the same Holy Spirit who inspires the Holy Scriptures is the same Holy Spirit who brings the Scriptures to light in our lives. Or if you like, the Bible is God's given book and we must have God's given help to understand it. And, and the weight of that has to be felt. The truth of God before us in illumination, when we open the Bible and we have sound instruction, once that comes on us, there's no escaping the reality. There's no acting like I don't get it. 
which might be a sneaky way of people thinking, if I don't get it, that I don't have to bow to it. So I'll keep pretending like I don't get it. That will never, ever work. The Bible is unlike any other book we know. Many times people that are thoughtful, they say, okay, it's a book. And many of us read books and, and we walk away from the book that we read, understanding the book. What's, what's the deal with that book? What's the deal with the Bible? And that's our first question. What's the big deal with the Bible? If you have your worship folder, you can turn to the back there and that'll be the first question. In fact, I think the definition of illumination is there for you as well. What's the big deal with the Bible? Well, the big deal with the Bible is this. The Bible is the word of God. Plenary, verbal inspiration. Plenary, fully, every word. Every word in the Bible comes from God. Verbal, by use of words, given by God and then written down by chosen men. The idea of writing down things began with Moses and God himself. God himself with his finger wrote the Ten Commandments. And Moses was told to write down the law as God gave it to him. And these chosen men wrote their own, in their own language and their own style these God-given words. So plenary, every word, verbal, use of words, spoken and then written. Inspiration, the Spirit of God falling down and empowering the writers to write. And empowering the investigator like Luke to investigate so they could write truth down. So, so this isn't like a mechanical dictation. That's how Muslims understand their holy book that, that God, Allah, dictated the word by word. That's not what we're saying here. This isn't mechanical dictation. This is supernatural inspiration. All scripture is God breathed. So you have 66 books over just about 40 writers over 1,500 years. God the Holy Spirit overseeing and, and empowering the whole thing because the Bible is not a word from God as in one of many, but the Bible is the word of God as in the only and final authority in all things. And so sometimes the Bible speaks directly to those things. For example, Jesus is God's only begotten son. The Bible just says that flat out. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, you're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You shall not lie. You shall not steal and covet. Direct, clear truth. Other things by dint of principles and outcomes you can infer from the scriptures. Here's a good example. A clever agnostic will say to you, Jesus never said directly, I am God. And they would be absolutely right. Jesus never said directly that he was God. But by principle and by inference and by thoughtful interpretation, we can open our Bible and we can see that Jesus said, I and the Father are one, John 10, 30, that before Abraham was, I am, John 8, 58, that Jesus said he forgave sins, he gives life, he judges the world, and he declared himself as truth. All things that his listening audience would be keen enough to pick up on and say, that guy is saying he is God and right they would be. So it takes the whole Bible to understand the whole counsel of God. We have to understand that. We say it like this. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian and to neglect parts of the Bible is in fact to neglect parts of God. If you're using for your regular Bible reading, and I hope all of you are reading your Bible regularly, if you're using for your regular Bible reading our church's websites daily, 
read, you've just finished reading through the Old Testament book of Leviticus, and now you're on the book of Numbers. And if you've been reading for that, through that, it's difficult. I mean, this is what I read last week. You ready? They, this is from Numbers. They are to take all the articles used for ministering in the sanctuary, wrap them in a blue cloth, cover that with the hides of sea cows, and put them on carrying frames. And I'm like, what in the dickens is a sea cow? You know, and what is a carrying frame? So I had to Google a sea cow, and a sea cow is a manatee. It should have said manatee. And then I found out what a carrying frame was. But the book comes from God, and God chose to give it to us, and we need to know it. Well, why do we need to know it? Because the Bible's main message teaches us that everything about our current peace and our eternal life hangs on the finished work of Jesus Christ. It teaches us that if we're not converted, that now is the day of salvation. And the Bible teaches us everything we need to know to how to glorify God, because that's why we were created, to glorify God. And knowing how to glorify God and knowing why should we, why should we glorify God comes natural to no one. Hence, we need God's help. Hence, we need God's word. Hence, we need God's spirit to awaken our minds to believe in these realities. And of course, not run from our duty. So some people wisely say, and when they say these things, I'm glad they say them because they pin Christianity in and I like that. Okay, they kind of corner us and they say essentially this. This is our second point. If the Bible's so clear, why so much confusion, right? If the Bible's God's truth and it's so clear and we have supernatural help to help us understand it, to believe it and obey it and so on, why are there so many Christians saying one thing and others Christians completely disagreeing with them? That's a great question. Why are there so many denominations? Why, why are there so many disagreements in the Christian community? Those are good questions thoughtful people ask and we need to have some type of answer and I'm gonna give you just a few. Answer number one, why, why if the Bible's so clear, why is there so much confusion? Well, number one, many times Christians elevate personal convictions to eternal truths, right? And so it's not men who are speaking from God's word to Peter 121. It's rather men who speak for themselves and they are bold enough to speak to other men and other women and other young people. And they speak personal convictions. Hence the division. Hence the confusion. Hence the holding the party lines that blur things. Beware. Dr. Henry Ironside said, beware unless we make our prejudices our convictions. Beware unless we make our prejudices our convictions. We can add to that, beware unless we make our personal convictions as words from God. Answer number two to the clarity question. Because they do not handle the word of God correctly. The people responsible to teach it are the people who see it. 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul tells Timothy, as I urged you when you went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. Why? So that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Verse six, some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless, idle, foolish talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. 
In other words, listen carefully. There were people preaching in Ephesus that didn't know what in the dickens they were doing or what they were saying. And they needed to be helped or they needed to be hushed. And it was, as it was then, so it is now. They are confident in their words, yes. Maybe they're very confident. And yes, maybe they have followers. But though they be confident in their words, they are incompetent in God's truth. And again, they either need to be helped or to be hushed. Answer number three. The Bible's so clear. Why so much confusion? Answer number three. There are many flat-out false teachers that are preaching and teaching wrong things for all the wrong reasons. And this happened right from the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry. So just think with me. Let's just walk through the Bible quickly. Jesus said when he began his ministry, you have heard it said... All wrong because I say to you. So right off the bat, Jesus was correcting false teachers. Why did Paul write to the church in Galatia? Why did he write? Well, because there were people going around giving a different gospel other than the true gospel and the church was being led astray. And so he had to write to defend the truth. Why did Paul write to the believers in Colossae? By the way, we're going to be going through the book of Colossians soon. Okay, why did Paul write that book? Because there were false teachers going around saying something on the order of this. Listen carefully. Yes, yes, Jesus is fine. And yes, he's God's son. Yes, yes. But unless you've been touched by an angel, unless you go on the Atkins diet, unless you slept on a bed of nails, i.e. harsh treatment of the body to enter into some kind of mystical experience, And once you enter into that mystical experience and you really, really, really can get close to God, the false teachers are saying, unless you do those things, then man, you're not living in the fullness. So Paul writes to the church and says, that is bunk. That's a a lie. Okay? If you have Christ, if you're in Christ, you have God's fullness. Which is why I, me, I love the song, All I Have is Christ. Because The bottom line is all I need, all we need is Christ. One more thing about false teachers because they were all over the place. This is Jude 18. Jude says this, dear friends, remember what the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold? They told you, verse 18, in the last times there'll be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. Okay, they might crack the Bible open, but they'll not preach from it. These are the people who will divide you, who follow mere natural instincts. In other words, fleshly, sensual instincts and do not have the spirit. So these people, all they do is speak about the here and now and all they do is speak about things that people want to hear. And Jude says, watch out for them because they're not filled with the spirit. Which takes us to our third point. Point number one, what's the big deal with the Bible? The Bible is the word of God, final and authoritative. Question two, if the Bible is so clear, then why so much confusion? Well, because there's arrogant men who demote it by elevating their personal convictions. There are unlearned men who distort it. Thus, they need to be hushed or they need to be helped. There's unconverted men without the Holy Spirit who twist it. So when they open the book, they never get Christ out of it. And they, na- and they never say anything that they think will not get them ahead. And that's our third question now. What then Or excuse me, why then do so many say, I can't understand what the Bible means? Okay, and many people here, and you might be here this morning, you're one of those people who say, I don't understand what the Bible is saying. I I don't get it. A lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times fathers, 
men will say that most. I, I don't get it. Or preachers will hear, when you preach, I don't understand it. I don't get it. And that's a statement that every preacher and every teacher of the word of God will on occasion hear. So let's answer the question first on the preacher's side and then on the listener's side. Because some of the times the student or the listener is absolutely correct. The Bible teacher and the preacher is not being clear enough. And so the listener suffers and the truth suffers. Perhaps maybe the pastor, you know, his work, work week was way too short. He wasn't working or fanning into flame the gift that God had given him. Or maybe the pastor or the teacher doesn't feel an overwhelming sense of the need of the power of the Holy Spirit. So he locks himself in his room to pray. Maybe he doesn't do that. Or maybe he just does the one, two, three, skadoodle, amen, and then gets on with his task. I mean, I've been doing it for years. I can just wing it if I need to. But the Apostle Paul, he told the Christians in, in Colossae, he said, Colossians 4, 3, pray for us too. That God may open door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. And then he says, pray that I proclaim it clearly. Okay, the Greek word is phanero, means make visible, make, make it appear. Pray that in my preaching, I make Christ appear. And then he says, as I should. The apostle Peter, now listen. He recognized how hard the scriptures are at times to understand. This is 2 Peter 3. Peter writes, our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes in the same way in all his letters. And then Peter says, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. In other words, they're intellectually difficult. Okay, you with me? God gave Paul his wisdom. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he wrote it in such a way that much of it would have to make the listener stretch their mind to understand Paul when he's read or when he's preached. And then Peter says, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Now, because of this, it would be so foolish of us if we think that everything in the Bible is to be always easy to understand. You know, what is it? Kiss, keep it simple, silly, or keep it simple, stupid, depending on how mean you want to be. Everything isn't like that. Now, the preacher, if he's going to please God, which is first thing he must do, if he's going to please God, then 1 Timothy 4, he can't neglect the gift that he's been given. He's got to work it and work it and work it until his last breath. The preacher, if he's going to please God, 2 Timothy 1.6, must flan into flame that apostolic preaching gift. So the preacher then, if he's going to truly preach God's word, he's going to preach theology and not psychology. He's not going to preach himself, but he's going to preach Christ. And he's not always, at least in our context, he's not always trying to save America, okay, so much as exalt Christ. Because when Christ is exalted, then every nation... Every nation has the capacity to be saved. One more thing that God says to the preachers. This is Titus 2, 7, and 8. Paul to Titus through the authority of God. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. That's an important word for preachers. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech. In other words, this is what God wants which supersedes what the listener wants and what the speaker wants. What does God want? Well, when you open up the book, God says, and when you explain it, you better have uncorrupted motives. That's integrity. Why are you behind this box? To get a check 
for applause or for the glory of Christ and the good of your listeners. And then he says, you better understand the, the weight of this moment. It's seriousness. The word that Paul uses means due reverence. In other, in other words, what is happening right now, congregation, right now, there is to be in all of us this reverential sense. God is speaking through the mouth of a mere man to precious people. Some people may not believe this. Some people may believe this. A person's eternal destiny is hanging in the balance and the glory of Christ has to be detected. So we must revere him. So the stress is really plain. This is John Stott. People will not take serious subjects seriously unless there is a due seriousness in the preacher's manner and delivery. Now that's the preaching. That, that is for the preacher and his responsibility to the listener. But what about the listener? What about the listener when it comes to understanding? Well, point of fact, the Bible has much more to say about the heart and mind of the listener than the mind and the mouth of the preacher. So what we need to do is we open our Bibles and we think how Jesus thinks. Well, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus told an awful lot of parables, right? He told stories about common things and he made them spiritually true, if you would, or he awoke in the minds to their spiritual reality. But when Jesus spoke in parables, Jesus made this really, really clear. If they don't want to listen, and if they don't like being what's said, then they might act like they don't understand. In fact, that might just mean it's not so much the speaker with the problem, but the listener with the problem. And so you can't say those things without backing up from the scripture. Well, we can the parable of the sower. It's in Luke 8. Jesus tells a, a, a story. There's the good seed, the word of God, and God's word's being scattered on four types of soil. Dense, rocky, thorny, and good. And then Luke 8, 8 says this. When he said this, when Jesus told the parable, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Well, Jesus, everybody has ears. What are you saying? Verse 9, his disciples ask him, what does this parable mean? He said, listen carefully, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that everybody will understand and everybody will get it. No, this is what he said. Though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. So Jesus acknowledges that not everybody's gonna understand. And he explains it in the four types of soil told in the parable. Different responses to the same message because of the heart. So some people are dense. And the devil does his evil work and just takes the truth right out of them. Other people are shallow. The demands of Christianity prove too much for them. They say no. Others are contaminated. Life's worries, life's riches, life's pleasures, and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful. And some, thank God, one out of four are receptive. And they get it. And how do we know that they get it? Well, Jesus says because they produce fruit. Now you get that? Only one out of four understand. So the problem is not in the word said. The problem is in the listener's head and heart. And Jesus goes on to say why. There's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought into the open. In other words, they have no fruit. Everyone will see. They will see. And then Jesus says, verse 18 of chapter 8 of Luke, therefore consider carefully how you listen. Do you understand that? Carefully 
consider how you should carefully listen. So the question then of the listener's eternal state becomes the the monumental question. What kind of soil am I? That's the question. And my soil of my heart will affect my ability to hear the preached word. And so Jesus told them that this is what Isaiah said. Isaiah said it a long time ago. There's going to be people who keep, keep, keep hearing my truth. But a kind of mental atrophy will set in. And the demands of the gospel, the demands of my truth will be either impossible for them or unbelievable to them. So yeah, they might make it to the place and keep listening, but they're never ever changed by what they listen to. Now, Paul was a master communicator, the Apostle Paul. He had the exact same problem. He would go into a place. He would go into the synagogue first. He would preach from the Old Testament, Jesus Christ and them crucified. They couldn't see it. They threw him out. Maybe one or two would be saved, but typically they threw him out. So it wasn't a question of clarity for Paul. It was a question of the listener's heart. Even Jesus had communication issues. Can you believe it? John 8, Jesus was talking to the Jews and he was telling him, telling them about him. Jesus said to them, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Okay, why Jesus? And this is what Jesus says. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. I don't think he's going to get invited back to that place, right? He was a murderer from the beginning. Doesn't hold to the truth. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. And then he says, whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear, the reason why you don't understand is that you do not belong to God. See, there's no thirst for the truth. No thirst for Jesus. No thirst to understand what God has said in Jesus. In other words, then there's no Jesus. So the heart of the listener and the ears of the listener is the issue for the listener. Which takes us to our fourth question and with this we're gonna wrap things up. So then how can we understand the Bible, right? How can we understand the Bible? Because if what Jesus is saying true, whoever belongs to God, hears what God says, the reason you do not hear, the reason why you don't understand is that you don't belong to God, then how am I, how are you going to understand God's truth given in God's word in the pages of the Bible? Sometimes explained correctly by preachers of the Bible. How? Well, that takes us right back full circle to illumination. Illumination is a grace that God gives his people by the Holy Spirit, which shines the light on scriptures, which makes the scriptures alive, which when it's taught, it becomes alive. When it's taught correctly or preached, it becomes alive and we can get it. We can understand it. The lights turn on and the realities of the truth that we become face to face with them. First Corinthians 2.14, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, i.e. like the Bible. For they are foolishness to him and he can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So let's make our short little list. One, two, three, four, five. The person of Jesus Christ and holy things and doctrines we must know. It comes natural to none of us. We've got to understand that. We just can't think this stuff up in our head. We need a source. We need divine inspiration to the Holy Spirit through divine word, the word of God. That's the starting point. Okay, if it wasn't the starting point, then the smartest person in the room would win, right? All you have to be is really intellectually sound and you can get all the stuff in the Bible, it's easy. And that would make West Cohasset Chapel a college and not a church. So God is gonna have to do something. Only the Holy Spirit, the searcher, 1 Corinthians 2.10, of the deep things of God can bring the truth of scripture to bear in our minds and bear in our hearts. 
In fact, the word spiritual that you read over and over again in 1 Corinthians means spirit given. So that's the starting point. God gives it by God's grace. Number two, then, the work of the Holy Spirit in illumination is, is revealing this old information. You got that? It's not new revelation, like there's something more that we need to know. Everything we need to know is right here in this book. So illumination is taking the old information, this precious information, and just making it, if you would, new in our understanding. And so we can grasp in a way we never have before the reality of the text. Number three, the reason why we need this work of grace and illumination, I bet you know the answer to this one, is because we're sinners. And our sin clouds our mind, our mental and moral system, all grayed up, if you would. So we, we miss the force of the scripture. We, we miss the, the whole, you know, wonder of it all. Everything sometimes in the Bible is dull and dry and uninterested. Everybody would have to admit to that. At least I'll admit to that for myself. So the old man seeps in. And what an old man he is. And he says, you can't live like that. You can't believe that way. You can't give that way. You can't talk that way. People are going to think you're nuts. And then at least for me, it's like, what about your life? And what about your well-being? I mean, you only have one life and all this sacrifice for Jesus stuff and joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, come on. That's crazy talk. That's the old man. And sometimes my old man says, and that guy behind the box saying all that stuff, he's a nut. Sin darkens the mind. It darkens the mind so we forget what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to and we don't think at times some that we even need to be saved at all. That's sin. Number four, that when the Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, as the Word is opened up, preached, taught, read, the Spirit comes and attunes our hearts so that we can understand. Listen carefully. This is what makes expository preaching so dangerous. Once we understand, then we become accountable to the truth that we now know. Once we understand, we become accountable to the truth we now know, and we must respond accordingly. And that's the Spirit doing that work in all of us. Then finally, to our last breath, the work of illumination is a lifelong ministry of the Holy Spirit to every Christian. Think about it like this. You're on your deathbed and you're wondering if all the things that you read and sang are true. Is, is the sting of death really defeated? I mean, am I just going to freak out on my deathbed? Is that going to happen? And so the Spirit of God comes and says, yes, it is all true. You're going you're gonna to die and it's going to be okay. The sting of death is removed and you're going to wake up in the arms of Jesus Christ. I promise you, I promise you it's going to be true. And then you can go out like a Christian because Christians die well we die really well so the Holy Spirit is committed to us to get to the truth about Jesus to get to the truth about God from his word so that we can live in a way that pleases him so we can think in ways that please him so we can live and think in ways that are good for us and good for others final word then, may God deliver any of us, beginning with myself, from any deceiving experience that would lead us to believe that our own manufactured abilities lead us to understand God's truth. It cannot be that way. Illumination is clear. It's a work of God's grace, and we all should be thankful for it, and we should live according to its truth. And if we're not a Christian and we feel the Holy Spirit 
cornering us for all the right reasons, then the Bible would say something so simple. Today, right now, is the day of salvation. Right now. This moment. Right now. Thank you for your attention. In just a moment, we're going to take communion. If the elders of our church would come forward, just a brief prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for moments like this. We thank you for the help of the mighty Holy Spirit. We pray that you would send these truths into our lives for your good, for your glory, for the good of others and the good of ourselves. For Jesus' sake.